Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 591 with Brian Robinson. If you have ever experienced work or stress just feeling like too much, Brian's got a whole lot of actionable tips and techniques. I've been loving it. So you'll learn one, the key difference between loving work and workaholism. Two, how to keep your survive brain from overwhelming you. And three, four micro chillers that offset stress and boost your mood. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP591. Now here's Brian's story. Brian E. Robinson, PhD, is a professor emeritus at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, a psychotherapist in private practice, and an award-winning author of two novels and 40, 40 nonfiction books that have been translated into 15 languages. He's appeared on 2020, Good Morning America, ABC's World News Tonight, NBC Nightly News, NBC Universal, the CBS Early Show, and the Marketplace on PBS. He hosted the PBS documentary, Overdoing It, How to Slow Down and Take Care of Yourself. His book, Chained to the Desk, a guidebook for workaholics, their partners and children, and the clinicians who treat them, is now in its third edition. He developed the Work Addiction Risk Test, or WART, W-A-R-T, an instrument used worldwide to measure work addiction. He lives in Asheville with his spouse, one Yorkie, three Golden Doodles, and Krishna, an adopted cat who wandered into their lives along with occasional bears at night. Big thanks to Brian for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Brian. Brian, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great to be here, Pete. Thanks for asking me. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. But first, I need to understand, you own four dogs, a cat, and some birds, but you have too many bears at night. What exactly does that mean? Well, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, on the side of a mountain. And actually, we have a bear alert. We have so many bears coming into the city because there's not as many people out. So uh, every night and just about every afternoon, my dogs go crazy. I have three golden doodles in the backyard, and I have a Yorkie inside. So it's a little disruptive. But, you know, my philosophy is I live in their territory. They don't live in mine. And so we love the bears. We love nature. And so we, we're adjusting just like they've had to adjust to us human beings. Okay, cool. Well, so I like that that's a good frame a little bit in terms of it sounds sort of chill. Yeah, it is. 
<laughs> or, or relaxed. Uh, and, and that's what we're talking about is, is you wrote the book on workaholism and three editions <laughs> of it. So maybe you could, you could start us there is like, how do we know if we are workaholics or if there is an imbalance in the first place? Maybe we have it going on and we don't even know yet. Well, a lot of times we do have it going on. I had it going on and didn't realize it. Because if you're a true workaholic, you have as much denial as an alcoholic has denial. You've heard that old saying, denial is not a river in Egypt. And most addictions do have a denial component. So I'm a psychotherapist, and I see a lot of people actually from all over the world and all over the United States who come to me either virtually now or or face-to-face, and usually it's the spouse dragging the workaholic in to fix him or her. But often what has to happen, unfortunately, like any other addiction, someone who is really out of control with work often hits a bottom. And that could be, uh, I've had patients who've been fired because they called their employees in on a weekend to work, which was unreasonable. I've had a lot of folks who become physically ill with gastrointestinal problems, heart disease. Because what we know, think about a car. If you just have gas and you don't have brakes, well, I don't even have to tell you folks who are listening what happens. You're going to go off the cliff. You're going to burn out your engine. And that's what happens with workaholics. They actually burn out. And burnout is not the same as stress. It's not easy to get over. It's not something you can just take a vacation from. It takes quite a bit of time because it becomes physical at that point. Okay. Well, then, Uh, that sounds pretty serious. So can you... Share with us, you know, what are maybe the the top indicators there? So it, it can surprise us. It can sneak up on us. We can be in denial. And then, I mean, well, it, in some of those instances, there's some pretty clear indicators. You, you got fired because, you, you know, you, 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 you were asking too much for people who you just expected to work the way you were working. Exactly. Or you, you have a health issue showing up at the hospital. What are maybe some of the earlier indicators? Well, your spouse says, hasta luego, I'm out of here, after begging and pleading, which I went through uh, early on. Uh, uh, It's one of the things that got me into what we call recovery. You know, there is a Workaholics Anonymous. There's a 12-step program for workaholics. We're talking about people who not only can't stop working, even if they're with their kids playing catch or by the ocean with their main squeeze, they're thinking about work because they can't turn it off. So they're not always in the office or in front of their computer. They can be anywhere and still working. Also, there's something called work infidelity is my term that I use in uh, the book, hashtag chill. And that's when you sneak your work. I had a, a woman tell me once that her husband complained because she stayed at the office till seven or eight every night and he never saw her. And it got to be real serious, and she said, i tell you what, I'm going to take a, a, an aerobics class. The workout uh, clothes, and, and at work, what she would do is change into the workout clothes, dash bottled water on her to make it look like sweat. And she actually worked till like 8 o'clock, but he thought that she'd been going 
to uh, a class, you know, I did something very similar. And I know it sounds even crazy when I say it, and I'm a therapist. I used to, when we'd go to the beach, everybody would want to walk on the beach, and I'd pretend I was tired and I'd yawn, and they thought that was cool. I'm actually going to rest. And as soon as I saw them out of sight, I would pull out my project from the university. I was a professor at, at the time and worked feverishly, just like an alcoholic sneaking a drink. And then when I saw them coming back, I pretended I'd been sleeping. That's work infidelity, which buys into that old notion of wedded to work. Now, everybody's not that severe if they're workaholics. You know, the book Hashtag Chill is for anybody who lacks balance. And the kind of workaholic I'm talking about is really an extreme. There's actually a test that you can take on my website, which you'll probably mention, that tells you whether you're that severe, which what I had just described is pretty serious, or mild or medium. So there are degrees of it. But a lot of people think they're workaholics when they're really not. And they work in tax season, for example, day and night. That's not a workaholic. That's just the demands of the job that's temporary. But we're talking about people who are on the ski slopes dreaming about being back in the office versus someone who's in the office dreaming about being on the ski slopes. It's a mental thing. It's an inside job, as we say. Yeah, well, so much of that is... I guess I sort of need to look in the mirror. I mean, is it mind blowing? I go both ways here with regard to, you know, it's like, hey, hey, I'm working less than I was when I was a strategy consultant. So then that's pretty good, right? But I've also had moments where, you know, I'm, I'm playing with my, my son outside and I'm thinking about uh, a, a cool project that's coming up from an audio app that wants me to do a show. More about that later. So, yeah, I guess it's not all about me. It's about the listener and your expertise. But it's sort of, I, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm on the mild side of things. Like, it, it shows up here and there, but I'm not sneaking work or spending 60-plus hours a week. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to mention, this applies to volunteering, retirement. What I'm seeing with people who are retiring today, they may not be working, at least obviously in an office, but they, if you're a true workaholic, you continue to do that, to do volunteer work or keep busy all the time. And it can be a student who is, is a perfectionist and who is in as a control freak. We often refer to workaholics as controlling because they use their work to assuage some kind of uh, internal stress. Well, I guess, Brian, and, and then at the, on the flip side, I think sometimes it's just like work happens to be really fun and interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so then, you know, you, you choose what what seems to be freely to do plenty of it. Well, let me tell you the difference. Yeah, please do. That's a good point. I still work. I, I write for Forbes. I write for Psychology Today. I have a private practice. I have a new book coming out. I have a marriage. <laughs> so I have a lot going on. But you know the difference is being drawn instead of driven. So when you're driven, and this is the way I used to be, I was a, a madman. I was a chain-smoking I never stopped. I worked holidays, weekends, uh, days, uh, nights. It, it, it was just really crazy. And it was because I had to, uh, we call it masturbation. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. <laughs> masturbation. I must, I have to, I should, the shoulty thinking. I've heard you can should all over yourself. That's right. But masturbation is a new one for me. Masturbation. Yeah, I ought to. I have to. And what it is, it's a form of shaming. 
And we don't even know we're doing it, but we are requiring, it's an oppressive way of requiring ourselves to stay focused and to stay busy. Now, that's driven. To be uh, drawn is I want to, I, I plan to, I will, I have passion about this. You know, Michelangelo, so the story goes, worked day and night on the Sistine Chapel. That doesn't mean he was a workaholic just because he was working day and night. He, When you have compassion and creativity, that's a whole different ball game for how you're showing up at work. I don't feel the same when I'm working. I feel calmer. I call this the C-spot. And I, I talk about this in, in the book. The C spot is when you have uh, about seven or eight C words that you're aware of. You're calm, you're clear headed, you're compassionate with yourself and other people, you're creative, you're confident, you're courageous, and you're curious. And that's a whole different way of being in your body. Now, that's what I call the thrive brain. I was chatting with you earlier and I mentioned we have two brains. A lot of people don't realize they have two brains. One is the survive brain. One is the thrive brain. The survive brain is hardwired in us so that we will survive. So if your house is on fire or if your kid is in jeopardy, you're not going to think. You're going to react. So we need our survive brain to keep us safe. The problem is, if and you can see this today, you can see it in the workplace, you can see it on the news every night, the survive brain has become rampant in our society with how people are interacting with each other. The thrive brain is reflective. It's basically the prefrontal cortex executive functioning. It's the thinking brain versus the animal or lizard brain, I sometimes call it. And that's the brakes. The brakes is the thrive brain. The gas is the survive brain. And the key to balance is not just getting a hobby or going on a vacation. It's making sure that you are acting instead of reacting. I'll give you an example. I was coming off of the uh, freeway here in Asheville one day. It was a beautiful fall afternoon. I'll never forget this. And I casually looked over, and a woman in a little red car who'd been in front of me gave me the snarl and the finger. What did you do, Brian? Well, my first thought, I could see my anger He's up as a part of me, and it's like he was coming toward me. And he said, tell the, I don't know if I can say these words, so I don't want to offend anybody, but tell the blankety blank to go to hell. And I said, stop. This was my thrive brain in practice. My survive brain wanted me to roll the window down and give her the same gesture. What I did, I was able to stop the anger and talk to him. Now, it used to be if we talked to ourselves, people said we were crazy. Now it's one of the best untapped mental health tools we have. And the research is showing this. I can talk about the research. It's fascinating. But when I talk to him, he calms down. See, that puts me in my C spot, the C word. It also, I had the clarity of what was going on inside of me. I, I didn't get hijacked. So I stayed in the moment. I stopped the anger. And I talked to him. And I said, I know you're pissed off. And I know you want to do that. But that's not who I want to be in the world. And I toddled on down the road. And I had one of the most beautiful days I can ever remember. Because I felt like I just made a home run. Because I stayed in my C spot, in my thrive brain. That's good. And so then you you mentioned, you know, we got some research and there's two sorts of brains. Can you lay it on us there with regard to, you know, what's going on either in terms of, of brain parts or biochemistry, neurotransmitter things? <laughs> How's it working for us inside? Well, here's what we know. 
And, and I actually teach this to my clients, and they just are amazed in how it's changed their life. I have my clients, when they talk to me, and they, they, they're not allowed to say, I'm an angry person, I'm a control freak, even though I did use that term a while ago, or I'm a worry wart. Because when you say that, you start to identify yourself as that, and there's no space for you to figure out who you really are. So the way they refer to what we call the second person, he, I have this part of me, and he or she is anger. And when they're talking to themselves on the inside, and this is what the research is showing, if you use second person you or use your name, like if if you were to say, Pete, you made a mistake, but you know what? That's not the worst thing you've ever done, and you don't have to worry about this, as opposed to, I made a mistake, what am I going to do about it? It's when you use the I, we call that blending and you feel bad about yourself, and you don't really find solution. That's the survive brain. When you talk to yourself in the second person or by name, and this is what the research shows, you are happier, and it actually gives you a wide-angle lens. It's almost like somebody else is talking to you because you're more objective in what just happened. So instead of condemning yourself and vilifying yourself, you're more likely to let yourself off the hook and get a wide, what I call a wide-angle lens view of what just happened, which is really the thrive brain with, that brings up self-compassion. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, well, I, I love it. I love it when there's these little distinctions that maybe we've never thought of that could make a world of difference. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I just geek out over that. And and we, I remember this reminds me of a conversation we had with uh, Tara Moore, uh, one of our most popular episodes about, she referred to it as, as your inner mentor. Like you could imagine talking to an older, wiser version of yourself in a beautiful setting. And, and so that has a similar sort of outside yourself uh, vibe to it. Uh, but what you're describing sounds even faster and easier <laughs> in terms of having to sort of enter into a place, not that it takes that long. Well, I've developed a little, um, what I call a AAA. Since a, a lot of, I think most people may be working remotely right now, but let's imagine you're in your office and your boss walks by and she's got this frown on her face and she looks straight at you and doesn't speak. And on the inside, you, you shrink and you say, holy shit. I'm in hot water. I don't know what I've done. And I've got an evaluation tomorrow. And oh my God. And all night you worry and you obsess and you ruminate about the meeting with your boss the next day. You walk in, she smiles, you sit down and she gives you a glowing evaluation and talks about what a great team member you are and about a potential promotion. So what just happened? Your survive brain is always looking out to protect you. It's the only goal. It doesn't care whether you're happy. It only wants to make sure you survive. And that's not, you know, that's not just uh, uh, physical survival. Or uh, It's also psychological safety. And uh, when your job is threatened, that's one of the biggest uh, threats you can have. And scientists, the neuroscientists call this the negativity bias. What that means is our brain will, and the survival brain will automatically go to the negative scenario and we make up stories in our head that are almost never true. And this is an example. And I bet most people listening have had this experience. I know I have, and you probably have too, Pete, where it not only does it not turn out the way you thought it would, it turns out the very opposite. And scientists say 90% of the time that's true. So what does that mean? We're living our lives from the survival brain 90% of the time and we're miserable. 
So when we can realize what we're doing and shift into the thrive brain, we're going to be happier. We're going to be more productive. That's a fact. And we're going to live a fuller life. Now, so here's the little mnemonic device that I've I've developed. So I'm angry. I'm, I'm on the freeway and the woman gives me the finger and I see my anger. So the first A is aware. I'm aware I'm angry. The second A is I acknowledge it, like I just did. Oh, I see you're here. Uh, And what most people try to do is get rid of it, or they think anger's bad, or they steamroll over it, or they try to debate with it. That's the worst thing you can do. But when you just let it be there, you acknowledge it, and I know you're pissed off, and I see you're here, you will start to feel a calm and a separation from that part. The third A is allow. And that's where you just allow it to be there. Just let it be there. Now, I'm doing some hand motions here that, Pete, you can probably see. But uh, what I'm doing is holding my hand out. When I say allow, you let it be there, but not. it can't be where you are. It's got to be separate from you. And when you start practicing that, it widens what we call the resilient zone. This is one of the things I talk about uh, in terms of micro chillers. These are little five-minute exercises or less that really boost our confidence and boost our mood and uh, keep us stress-free throughout the day. But the AAA is something I use all the time. I've used it twice this week already. Well, there's a lot of great stuff here. So let's talk about these solutions with regard to, okay, if you if you find yourself feeling threatened and, and survival is, mode is, is going full force, or you find yourself in the throes of, of workaholism, uh, we've got the three A's. Uh, what are some of your other favorite tools for getting back on track? One is HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And that's a little mnemonic device that we can just carry around. And if we catch ourselves, you have to learn to be aware or being mindful. I'd like to talk a little bit about mindfulness. And once you are, then you realize, hey, I'm hungry and I I wasn't even conscious of it. So I'm going to go have a snack or I'm angry. And what? how can I deal with that anger? Or, Or I'm lonely. I can call a friend or I'm tired. Take a nap. So there are these kinds of things. Another one is, and here's where the balance comes in. You know, if I were to ask you, Pete, if you're like most people, to list all your shortcomings, that would probably be an easy task. Then if I say, well, now, on the other side, list all your tall comings, it might take you a little bit longer. The research shows that. Why? Because of the negativity bias that I mentioned earlier. So balance is making sure your list of tall comings is at least close to uh, in balance with your shortcomings. That creates the balance from inside in terms of your confidence, how you carry yourself, how you feel about yourself. And so that you just literally mean have that written down somewhere, side by side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And say, hey, this is what I got going for me. Yeah. Also have a to-be list. You know, we all talk about to-do lists, the uh, the balance. The to-do list is the survive brain. Now, we we need, it's okay to have a to-do list, but how often do we have a to-be list? That's the breaks. We need the breaks to complement the gas. So the to-be list for me is because of where I live, I'm so fortunate. I have a beautiful view of the Western Mountains and the sunsets. It's something I do every afternoon is sit and watch the sunset when the sun is setting when you can see it and i'm not doing anything but just 
I'm enjoying the mountains. I'm in the mountains, and the mountains are in me. That's the Thrive Brain. And the research shows there's a groundbreaking study that just came out this year, 90 minutes in nature, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be sitting, you can be walking, you can be sailing, playing tennis. is a game changer. It elevates your mood. It makes you more productive and more creative. Just being in nature, in a park, wherever you are. And that's being is so complimentary to the doing. And a lot of people don't want to take, especially if you're a workaholic, you don't want to take the time to do that because it feels like a waste of time. But the neuroscience is showing not only is it not a waste of time, it really makes you more productive, more successful, and more satisfied with what you're doing. Oh, okay. Well, well so th- that's a great bit there, the 90 minutes in nature. Are there any other sort of high-impact self-care practices that maybe most people don't know about or most people don't know just how much bang for the buck they deliver? Well, maybe we can talk about uncertainty because I'm kind of fascinated by this topic, especially with COVID. Uncertainty, the lizard brain or the survive brain despises uncertainty. And you can see why, because if your survive brain doesn't know what's around the corner, it freaks. And it also tells you the worst case scenario is going to happen, which is not true, but we believe it because we think it and we tend to become anxious and worry because of it. So the key is to be able to understand that uncertainty is uncertain, period. It doesn't mean something bad's going to happen, but we tend to, to think of uncertainty as something catastrophic. British researchers did an incredible study, and I won't go into all the details, but I'll I'll give you the clip notes. And they divided these folks into two groups. In one group, they said, you are going to get an electric shock in just a few minutes. The other group, they said, there's a 50% chance that you might get an electric shock. Well, guess who had the highest anxiety? The ones who might get a shock. Exactly. When you know something for a fact, there's something about that that it relaxes the survive brain because it knows what's going to happen. So that's how vital certainty is. The problem is there's no way we're ever going to have certainty. There's no way life is going to tell us what's around the corner. Life is not designed to do that for us. And that's why we've got to figure out a way individually in our lives, whether we're at work or in our marriages or in our parenting, to figure out how are we going to deal with uncertainty and not look at it as, as a negative? Well, yeah, in a way, well, I want to hear your particular strategies there. It's like you're almost better off if you just sort of acknowledge, accept, like, you are going to suffer this year. <laughs> it's like you will experience disappointments and unpleasant things that you would have preferred not happen. That's going to happen. And just sort of like you're, you're healthier if you can step into that versus say, oh, something bad might happen. We don't know, but I hope not. That's right. You just described the Thrive Brain. If you can step into the truth, there are things that are going to happen to you and to me this week, probably, that we hadn't planned that would happen. That's the nature of life. And when you can say that and then put yourself into it, the magic that happens is you have serenity. And that's the Thrive Mind. Uh, And, uh, this is paradoxical, you're willing to stick your neck out more. And when I say stick your neck out, I don't mean dangerous things. I'm talking about at work. You go out on a limb maybe with some creative ideas or 
so we're talking about psychologically sticking your neck out. That's we call that the growth mindset. That's the thrive mind. That's how we thrive. That's how people get successful. That's how Meryl Streep got all of her Oscars and Michael Swimmer got all his gold medals. Is the growth mindset? The growth mindset. They stuck their neck out. This is the one of the qualities of highly successful people who are not willing to take no for an answer. Well, you, you know, what's coming to mind is is, is a bit of, of scripture in terms of the uncertainty and uh, it's a, and depending on your translation, something like, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Is that, uh, that's the sort of like head on. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> so just go ahead and embrace it now. Yep, that's right. All right, cool. Well, and so then any other, you know, top tips in, in the world of self-care? Well, especially now, is know what you can control and what you can't. That kind of relates to what we're talking about, right? So I can't control, obviously, a pandemic. I can sit and shudder and worry. That's not going to prepare me for anything. It's not going to help. That's my survive brain. Or I can say, okay, Brian, we're going to eat well. We're going to exercise. We're going to follow the safety recommendations from the CDC keep ourselves healthy as we can, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, blah, blah, blah. And that makes me feel in charge. Basically, most of all I can control is my thoughts, feelings, and actions. And when I stop and think about that, and what are those things, and then I do them, it brings me peace. And that's Thrive Mind again. But when you get into this victim mode of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And What's going to happen tomorrow? It, it paralyzes you, even though the survive brain, and this is the paradox too, the reason Mother Nature hardwired us was so we perpetuate the species. We will survive, but it scares us. Fear is a, is a healthy thing, but your survive mind is fearful. Your thrive mind is compassionate, and we need both. I, I don't want people to get me wrong. I, I mean, gosh, if there was a fire right now, you and I, we wouldn't stop to think. We would just uh, react. We'd get out of there. But if someone's angry with me or if my spouse is hurt by something I said or did, instead of yelling and screaming, that's where we want to start using our thrive mind. And when you see what's going on in the world today with not only COVID, but the uh, racialized uh, society we live in, it's how are we treating other people? Uh, that comes from our thrive mind, from compassion. I, I sometimes think about, and somebody pulls out in front of me in traffic or somebody's unwittingly steps in line in front of me. What do I do with that? How many times have I stepped in front of someone in line? And I know I have. I did it at the post office last week. I didn't realize I was doing it. How many times have I talked over somebody? We're all human. We're all in the same boat in lots of ways. If we can just forgive ourselves, first of all, for mistakes we make and are going to make, and are a little lenient or, or kinder to other people, the Thrive Mind can really offset the, the Survive Mind and make not only individually in our everyday lives, but on a global basis. I know that's pretty grandiose. Oh, no, it's inspiring and rings true. I, I want to follow up on one thing you said, is that you can control your thoughts, feelings, and actions. And I think some might say, well, I don't know if I can control my feelings. And, and you've given us a couple tools for, for tackling that. But let's just say, we'll, we'll zoom right in in terms of, like, I'm thinking, okay, I, I take a look at my day, uh, a couple, and things are already not going to plan. <laughs> let's say I, I feel like, uh-oh, I got more that I need to get done today that I think I can get done. 
a couple people that are upset by something. Apparently, I screwed up, <laughs> and, and, and they're irritated, and I got to fix that. And uh, and I'm irritated that they were unclear about what they were asking of me, you know. So I, I got this morass of of feeling angry, stressed, too busy. And what I would like to feel is, you know, calm and compassionate and courageous and curious. How can I, in fact, control my feelings to get there? Okay, so let's take physics. What do you do in a uh, riptide? I don't know if you've ever been in one, but I have, and it's terrifying because your survive brain says swim like hell, and that will kill you. Your thrive mind, which is reflective, says the the latest uh, phrase, I think, is float, don't fight. And you float parallel to the shore, and it brings you in. That's counterintuitive. It's uh, paradoxical. Think about women who, during childbirth, because they're screaming and yelling and they're all tensed up. Well, childbirth classes are all about relaxing into the labor pains. Well, that doesn't make any sense to the survive brain. How can you relax when you're having pain? But what we know is the it reduces the pain and reduces obstetrical problems. If I'm on a um, motorcycle, which I have been, and you go around a curve, you lean into the curve, which is really scary. And it's hard to do if it's your first time. But your survive brain will say lean out so you don't flip over. But that will flip you over. So having said that, here's how you deal with that. So... I am going to be Pete, and I'm going to talk those feelings. And I'm going to do just like I I did a while ago with the the anger. So, Pete, yeah, you didn't get done what you wanted to do. That really sucks. You have every right in the world to be frustrated right now. So all I'm doing is allowing. I'm aware, I'm acknowledging, and I'm allowing that part to be there. Now, here's the paradox. If we don't fight these thoughts and feelings, if we allow them to be there, they recede, they calm down. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've heard that before, and and I buy it, like that which you resist persists. Exactly. I've heard as a turn of phrase. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that is resistance. And and I've heard uh, mental health experts say this, and it just is like, fingernails on a chalkboard, fight your inner demons. Some people call it your obnoxious roommate or that inner bully. And I don't like those terms because that's really not what it is. This is your survive brain trying to protect you in its own way, even though it doesn't seem like it. So we don't fight or battle those thoughts. We acknowledge them and allow them to be there. And that goes with that whole counterintuitive thing of they will relax and then you will have the clarity and then you will have the compassion instead of the judgment. So that's how you control your feelings, by not controlling them. Okay, so so I'm allowing it, and I'm not taking a, a Tony Robbins-esque approach of beating my chest and saying, yes, 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 and, and pretending to feel oh, the way I want to feel. Uh, it's the opposite. All right, got it. It's the opposite, yeah. Well, so, so tell me, Brian, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about a couple of your favorite things? Well, let's talk about mindfulness for a minute. There's a lot of research. We have such a body of research now from Harvard that shows the changes in the brain from the survive brain to the thrive brain uh, that changes people's lives. And meditation is one of the best tools for stress and anxiety 
on the planet. Now, I'm talking about five minutes. I'm not talking about 20, 30 minutes. That's ridiculous. Unless you're really an expert at meditation. Once you understand how to meditate, that's great. I would encourage everybody listening right now, we can't do it now because I don't, we don't want to take the time during the show, but if you just take one minute after this broadcast and sit somewhere and listen to as many sounds as you can for one minute, don't try to memorize them, just notice, just be mindful. Like right now, I can hear the shuffling of a little bit of paper and I can hear the air conditioning in the background and might hear my gurgling stomach. And as you do that, just for one minute, notice after you're through, notice what's going on in your body. And you will notice your heart rate has slowed down. Your breathing is a little slower. Your muscles loosen. You'll feel calmer. You, it moves you into your C-spot automatically. And that's one minute. If you do that for five minutes a day, it's going to change your outlook. It's going to change how you feel inside your skin, but also it's going to elevate your mood automatically. The reason is because it takes you out of your head, your worry uh, and your anxiety and your thoughts, and it brings you into the present moment. We call that open awareness meditation. That's just one type of meditation. There's one more thing I wanted to mention. And again, this is one of the best microchillers there is uh, from my perspective. Okay, so think of a camera. Your survive brain is uh, wired to uh, zoom in, okay? If, if you're threatened, imagine you're in a dark uh, parking garage at night. There's nobody around, and if it were me, my survive brain would be helping me look around to make sure I'm safe, right? What it does, it zooms in, and it focuses like a, a telescope or like tunnel vision. In doing that... Your eyes dilate, your body constricts, your whole physicality is focused on the potential threat. And you need to do that. However, what it does is it clouds out the big picture. So when we're upset with our spouse or a colleague or a boss or a child, we don't even realize that we go, go into the zoom lens. And one of the quick and dirty tools that you we can all use is first, if you're aware that your survive mind just went into the Zoom, you can widen that. You can take that and put it, I call this the wide angle lens, put it in the big picture and look at, at what's going on here. For example, let's say I didn't get that promotion and my mind goes right in and I'm thinking, gosh, I'm never going to get where I wanted to go. I thought I was going to be able to get this promotion and then get this job and then move on to such, so, such and such. So it kind of gets stuck there. And if you broaden that, we call this broaden and build. That's what the scientists call it. And this takes a few seconds. Put that in perspective and say, my career's not over. My goodness, look, I can do this and I can do that. Basically, what the wide-angle lens does, it widens. It helps you see possibilities. It helps you see the opportunity and the difficulty. And that's your thrive mind. The thrive mind is the wide-angle lens. The survive mind is the zoom lens. And we need both. But a lot of people get stuck in the zoom lens, in the survive mind, and they don't even know it. And so anytime you're looking, uh, remember there is a negativity bias and that it's for our survival. When you get stuck there, you can unstick yourself simply by putting on the wide angle lens and do what I call a gratitude exercise. Think of all the things you're grateful for. 
your health, your relationship, your kids, your animals, whatever, whatever it is. And it change, it moves you into your C spot. You start to feel calmer. You feel more clarity about your thinking is not as distorted. Well, that's excellent. Thank you, Brian. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One is Viktor Frankl, who was a psychologist, and he was in the Holocaust in uh, Auschwitz and Dachau. And the way he survived was, he said, the Nazis can take everything, and they did. They took his food, they took his clothes, people were dropping dead around him like flies. But he said, they will never take my will. And holding on to that, he wrote a great book and talked about how that helped him get through. So one of his quotes is, between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space, I have a choice of how I want to respond. And when I make that choice, that's where my freedom comes from. And we can all apply that. We're not in concentration camps, thank God, but some people are quarantined still and under lockdown, and some people are just imprisoned within their psychology, the way they think about their life. So you always have a choice, always. And we don't always know that we have a choice, but we do in in how we want to look at things. That's one of the most powerful quotes. And the second one is Rumi, the poet, who said, and I'm not saying this exact, but basically one of the marvels of life is a soul sitting in a prison with the key in his hand. I really like that one. Well, thank you. And, and how about a favorite book? Well, again, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl's book. Uh, on the novel side, one of my favorite books is Ordinary Grace by William Kent Kruger. It's a murder mystery, but it's written, it's a coming of age. It's just a fabulous book, and it won all kind of awards. So that's one of the best books I've read in the last few years. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for and people quote back to you often? This is something that I said once. I didn't even know I said this. And one of my fans sent it to me, and I'll just read it. Instead of asking why life is treating me this way because life isn't personal, I can ask, how am I treating life? If I say this is happening for me instead of to me, I'm left with what I can do with it. That's self-compassion and action, and it's empowering. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? www.brianrobinsonbooks.com. And Brian is B-R-Y-A-N-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. And that has that test you mentioned associated with the workaholic? Yeah, well, there's a a test on the website called uh, How Chill Are You? And it's all electronically scored in just a few seconds. And there are blogs that I've written, some self-help information for folks on how to deal with stress and anxiety and some of the things we've been talking about today. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. In the next week, see how many times you can act instead of react. And what I mean by that, we're so quick to react when someone pulls in front of us or steps in line in front of us or cuts us off in a meeting or things don't go the way we want. It Become more aware and use that triple A and acknowledge the part, work on your self-regulation on the inside, and then you're going to feel so much better, and you're going to be more accomplished too, more productive. All right. Brian, this has been a treat. Uh, Thank you, and I wish you many chill days ahead. Thank you. You too, Pete. Thank you. Boy, Brian had so many good tips. You know, I think halt has come to mind the most often for me in terms of, oh, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Oh, that's kind of what's going on here. (laughs) Demystified the, uh, 
<laughs> sensation of, of of not feeling it or, or or not being in the groove. So uh, that's been super handy as well as just being able to chat with yourself, the emotional. Hey, Pete, I know that was pretty annoying back there. Great stuff. I, I think this is worth returning to whenever you're experiencing that stressful stuff and you're not quite sure what's the next step. Those show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash app591. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It is Caroline Goiter. She's got some pro tips on how to make your voice resonant and powerful and optimal. I hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.